Hey friends, this is Ashley. I wanted to let you know a little bit about what you're going to listen to. This is a re-release of an episode that I did in November of 2019. It's with David Hu, who is the former owner of The Peccary, which is a coffee shop in New Jersey. On Instagram, David shares lessons on leadership and is open both about his own personal struggles with power and the gaps that he sees in other leaders. And I wanted to re-release this episode for two reasons. One, David is still incredibly on point with the insights that he shares on social media, which you should definitely follow at, at the David Who. There is a period between the and David. And secondly, I'm preparing a presentation on how to advocate for yourself at work as part of a coffee conference called High Density, which is hosted by the Barista League. My talk focuses on the ways that baristas and other service workers can stand up for themselves and what laws and protections are in place to safeguard their rights. Part of this conversation is aimed at service workers, but part of it's aimed at people in leadership positions so they can hear what their employees are concerned about. As I was preparing this presentation, I kept coming back to lessons that David shared in his episode, and I think it's required listening for anybody who has ever held a leadership position. Essentially, He's asking folks to step outside of themselves, to be humble, and to truly do good for the people around you. My talk is just one of dozens of panels and demonstrations and conversations happening at High Density, a coffee conference like nothing you've seen yet. High Density is free, it's 100% digital, and it focuses on relevant and practical information that you can put to use right now. This event is taking place on March 9th, and it features an international program of speakers, including Gwilym Davies, Kat Melheim, Freda Yuan, Lem Butler, and Vava Ngweni. A number of these folks I've actually interviewed for the podcast, and I am so, so thrilled to be part of this worldwide event. You can learn more by going to the Barista League's website or following them on Instagram. So now you're about to hear my intro and conversation with David Hu, pretty much from the original when it was released in November of 2019. So it's important to note that we've changed a few things at Boss Barista since we recorded this. Some things might sound a little bit weird, but the content and lessons are now more applicable than ever. All right, here we go. Hey friends, this is Boss Barista. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. Everyone has had a bad boss. Everyone has probably had multiple bad bosses. I had one boss tell me I was inauthentic and that he hated me. Then when I challenged him to fire me, he wouldn't. I had one boss tell me he couldn't give me more money after he promoted me, telling me that my job was a shift in responsibilities. I had two, a married couple, get a divorce in the middle of the cafe and put all the employees right in the center. And I too have been that bad boss. I've been too overbearing, too nitpicky, too weird and mean, and it's been to the detriment of not just myself, but of my employees. I'm lucky. I learned to be a better boss. Not perfect, not great, probably not even good, but better through reading countless articles scouring the internet for anything I could find about how to manage better. 
Surprisingly, there's not a lot on the internet about how to be a better leader. Please read the Harvard Business Review as a side note, if you can. That's where I found most of the articles that I lean a lot on. But I was surprised to see that there are a ton of articles complaining about shitty employees. But there seems to be a fundamental disconnect between the role of leaders and how they can improve and set examples for their staff. In a way, we don't really expect leaders to be held accountable. That's what this lack of articles really says. And instead, we write off bad work environments as the result of terrible employees. I know this is bullshit, but I have to say that one of the only ways I learned this lesson is because of my time as a middle school teacher. This is a story I tell all the time, so I'm sorry if you know it, but I'm going to tell it again because it's so vitally important to me and who I've become. I was trying to get my students to behave by lining them all up outside of my classroom, and it just wasn't working. So my principal calls me in and immediately I am blaming anything I can think of the kids, the fact that my class is right after lunch. And he tells me probably the single most important set of words I have ever heard. He told me that their rowdiness, that was my fault. I'm in control. But then he paused and he said, that's meant to empower you. You are always in control. So I took notice when I started seeing these amazing posts on Instagram about leadership from a coffee shop called The Peccary in New Jersey. These posts extolled the work of baristas and talked about how it's the job of leaders and not the people at the lowest rung of your company to make the work of being a barista easier. David Hugh, the owner of The Peccary, does this in a number of ways. He pays his baristas more. They know their schedules ahead of time for almost a year. They were paid for months during training and onboarding before the shop even opened. And I wanted to learn more about how David developed such an attuned sense of purpose and vision that focused on being a strong leader that put his staff first. It's not without its ups and downs. The peccary recently closed its doors, which we talk about, but it does force you to consider what your values actually are and what you do to live those values. Likewise, it forces you to think about what success is. Is it having a store that closes? Or is it building an incredible staff that trusts each other and is happy to be at work? Here's David. My name is David Hu. Uh, I am the f- owner of the Peccary Coffee Bar in Milburn, New Jersey. What made you want to open a coffee bar? It was actually very um, unexpected. I, it was not a personal dream. Um, I have been a career designer uh, in the corporate world, in the agency world, um, both here in, in the New York area and, and abroad. Um, and so, but as a designer, um, I guess it overlaps a lot with, with coffee culture mainly because I would sit in the coffee shop all the time um, to do work. And so um, I got to a point in my life, um, I'm 38 this year, and um, I felt that I've put in enough time of my life on the commuting, on the corporate work, um, and I've put myself in a position where I really wanted to do something meaningful. Um, I actually was stepped away. I stepped away from working for about a year before this idea of starting a coffee shop came about. Um, 
but it was this was really like a project where like life told me that I should do something and I got to a point where I I understood what it means to hear myself talking um to understand what that urge was to to step away from the kind of daily grind so to speak um and start something fresh so it certainly wasn't a project that I had thought of prior to 2 years ago um but yeah it was it was it was uh something that I think the spark of idea was sitting in a coffee shop and talking to baristas whom I've befriended over, you know, the days and weeks and months that I've visited. And a lot of baristas started to tell me about the struggles they have at work. And, and I'm also trained as an engineer. So, you know, when they tell me things that didn't work on a logistical issue, to me, it was solvable. It wasn't that difficult. Um, you could sit down and figure it out on paper. Um, and then the designer part of me has always been very interested in designing an experience. Um, and I saw a gap in, in the industry where, where I can combine those two perhaps experiences or knowledge and try to come up with a solution that, that works. That's so fascinating to hear that a lot, like that your background's in engineering and to take the problems of baristas and think I can solve this. So how did you go about planning the cafe to kind of address those issues that baristas were bringing up to you? Um, well, for example, one of the things was, um, scheduling, right? Um, a lot of baristas would not be able to get off from work on time because the next shift didn't come on time or someone would, um, realize that oh this person is sick and they can't come in and fill in but i already had something scheduled so but now i have to stay because that person cannot show up and so there were i mean this is just one aspect but it's to me it was a scheduling problem it's a mathematical problem um and it's not to just put people into data um but it's under to me it was a logistical issue and this logistical issue was compounded by the fact that I saw a lot of baristas were part-timers. So you have a store where your staff is composed of maybe 20 people, all part-time, all trying to figure out whose schedule is what. And so to me, again, coming from the corporate world where everybody's working nine to six, um, I thought there had to be a middle ground somewhere where you can address the fact that coffee shops need to be open most days of the week, especially on weekends. Um, but that is just going to trickle down. Like I had, I, I just had the feeling that if I could figure out the root problem, I could see all the benefits come through and trickle down, right? If everybody understood, for example, that there was a set schedule then you're not running around trying to figure out week to week, day to day, where everybody is. You're not trying to figure out, do I have the kind of coworker who's really good for the, the Saturday rush? You know who's going to show up and you are going to work as a team. And having that predictability and that confidence that this work 
is going to be there just as you are there um, makes a huge difference. And I just keep seeing that is more like a logistical issue. Not that the logistics solution will solve everything, but I could tell that 70, 80% of it could be solved with just good logistics. As a barista, hearing you say things like, you never know who's going to come in on Saturday to you know support you on a, maybe a busy day. I'm just like almost holding my breath. Like, yes, that's such, that's such a, like a feeling that I've had where I'm like, I don't know who's going to come in and help me. I never know what my schedule is going to be like. And you kind of taking that and simplifying that is really powerful. So how did you start like tackling these problems? Like what else were you noticing that you were like, this is totally solvable? Well, one, I mean, I think I have to predicate everything that I was going to um, do before I actually put paper to, I mean, pen to paper, was to make sure that I would assume I would hire people of really good character. Um, and I wish I, there was like, I, I could use a lot more adjectives to describe it, but I think if I boil it all down is to just hire people with good character and good commitment. So all of the things have to fit in, right? Um, for example, you, I could come up with the best schedule in the world, easy to understand, predictable, fits everybody else's private life schedule and great. But if you had someone on the team who just cannot show up on time, that system is not going to work. Um, and again, I brought, I brought in experiences from my corporate career because I used to manage, um, I was a designer again, but um, my strength was not actually in design. My strength was in project management. I would manage groups of five up to a whole project where 50 people are involved. And I was the communication liaison between all these different departments. Um, so to me, having the right people is always first and foremost, the most important thing. Um, having assumed that though, then I can come and try to figure this out. Um, for example, well, yeah. let's go, let, let's go backwards a little mm -hmm. bit. Cause you talked about having the right people. Um, so how did you code for that? What did you start looking for when you were hiring? Well, it helped that two of my eventual baristas, I was um, originally customers um, at their shop. So um, certainly when I found out that they were looking for new opportunities, um, then I would sit down and talk to them. I'd talk to them about what their uh, personal goals are. Um, I did not really ask about skills. Skills to me, I think you can teach as long as I have the right people to teach them and mentor them. That is something that just simply takes time and commitment. Um, what I really look for is honesty, um, transparency, and a willingness to be very, very humble. Um, and that's, you know, even before I opened the shop, I spent about uh, eight months writing down what my personal values are. And I collected it in, in a way and wrote it down in a way that I felt were understandable to most people. So one of the things is the idea of barista ship. 
Um, I actually Googled that word. It doesn't come up that often, to be honest. And barista ship is no, it doesn't. It's a it's a bit of a generic word. Um, but everybody knows maybe on the surface what it means, but nobody actually sat down and defined it. So for me, I defined it as um, the barista ship is founded on three core values. One is self awareness. Second one is self respect, and the third one is self discipline. And these three things are, you know. I boil down many, many things I wrote down to those three things that I feel like cohesively helps a barista become a self-respecting professional, coffee professional, who then has the humility to understand that they are at the very end of a long chain of people who also are committed to bring this into our shop so that we can brew this in a cup of coffee coffee for a customer. So it's almost an ownership of responsibility, this huge responsibility. But if you are willing to commit to this, then you are being then you can be rewarded with all the tremendous knowledge and community that this culture brings and at the same time elevate you as a person to be a good citizen. Um so, I mean, that was a long way of, of, of doing, of saying that, um, but that's, that's what I try to simplify and, and, and distill so that any barista who joins the peccary has that right off the bat. Like, it's not about coffee skills, not about how well you dial in. It's not about how well you do a pour over. It, I don't even really care if you know the elevation at which like a certain coffee is, is, is grown. Like all that stuff, I don't care. What you need to bring to my company is this idea of you have character, you have humility, and you're willing to commit to this. I think there's so much power to the fact that you outlined this from the get-go, that you spent so much time thinking about what your values are, you wrote them down, you made them clear to your staff before you even hire them. So can you talk a little bit about what it was like to sit down and really think about what your values are and to not just kind of have them in your brain, but really sit down and think, what does this look like on paper and how do I communicate it to somebody else? Yeah, that's something that, um, that I was quite accustomed to doing because, um, again, as, as a designer, um, when I first started as a design student, it was just really to design cool stuff, right? And, and once I got into the industry, then it was like a job. And then, you know, I I get told what does to design and I design and there's a project that gets shipped out, gets sold and whatnot. And eventually, and I think most people inevitably get to a point sometime in that career, early on the career, they start asking, why am I doing this? And the same thing happened to me. Why am I designing? Why am I a designer? What does it mean to be a designer? And so I went through that process over a number of years where I wrote down my own philosophy about design, what it means, what, why I should be a designer that literally puts more physical waste into this world. For me, if I do not anchor myself in this idea of the true humanistic value of being a designer, I, I cannot call myself a designer. It was just be a job title that anybody can take away from me at any point in time. So I saw parallels to someone 
who, for whatever reason, came into this industry as a barista, whether it's for practical reasons or for more fanciful reasons or for whatever personal reason they may be, I do believe that eventually they will ask themselves these same questions. Even if you don't, you should because of how human-centered this industry is. Just like design, it's a very creative field. Um, baristas is a fundamentally creative industry. And if you do not understand the humanistic foundations of why you are doing this day in and day out, it's very, very difficult for you to see what lies before you, what can be there for the future. And I think the idea, that, I mean, the simple fact that most people don't talk about this makes it very difficult. You're just like running on fumes, most people. Like they're like five years into it, 10 years into it, and they go, wow, I've been doing the same thing all this time. I don't know what's fueling me except this idea of I like my coworkers, I like the customers, and I don't know what else lies before me. And I think it's a very big missed opportunity. And I, I count myself as very, very lucky to have done that. Yes, I did it on my own, but I was very lucky to have understood that on my own. I could have very easily fallen right. into the trap of just making design, getting a paycheck and go home and go like, yeah, hey, I'll just spend my money wherever I want it to. Um, but I was very lucky to do that. And I think more as I see more people falling into that trap, I just felt like there has to be some way of talking about it so that people don't get so discouraged or get burned out. Because these are people, you know, whether it's a, it's a shop I go to once a week or a shop I go to every day, these are people I care about because they show me a lot of kindness. They show me a lot of, um, I mean, the big reminders of why we are here and why we do these things that we like, um, even though it's a it's a it's very much a thankless job, um, right? And to see young people fall into that, it it, it kind of it's disappointing, right? Um, yeah, I think um, hearing you tell that story reminded me of my very first coffee job. Um, I worked at a coffee shop in Times mm -hmm. Square. And it was, it was a grind. Um, but I had this manager who was really good at identifying what people were good at. Like, you're good at this, you should do this. And was really kind and generous with finding things for us to do that lent to our skill set. And then I remembered five years later, I was working as a trainer for a coffee shop and I asked my coworker, who was another trainer, I was like, what are you good at? And she said, I don't know. And I said, has nobody ever told you? She said, no. And I realized that I was also very fortunate to have that moment where someone invested time in me to say, like, what are your values? Like, what do you care about? Um, and I wonder as a leader, as somebody who did hire people and did have these values kind of listed out for themselves, how did you start to think about imparting values or helping people see their value as, as one of your employees? That starts with, um, like it has to start off right off the bat. I think one of the things that I told myself before I even hired anyone, and I wrote this in my even job ad, um, was you're coming here for yourself. I, as an owner, am lucky that you are willing to share with me this time and this energy and this commitment with me 
because at the end of the day, yes, I, I'm running a business. You're not deciding how I run my business, right? So you are working for yourself. And I, as a boss, have to work for you. I have to work for you. Um, it really can't be any other way. Um, and so having that value, I think, is really, really important in the very beginning. Um, and I told them, I, I said, this is what I'm about. It's a lot of exploration. It's a lot of experimentation, but I'm here to, to support you. Um, in fact, uh, when I was building out my team, two of them, um, I trained for over a month. I paid them full time, trained them for over a month before I even opened the shop. Um, that is, as far as I know, unheard of. To be a barista, to be trained and paid full time for yeah. over a month, to even before you actually start the job. Um, and the vast majority, I can count the number of times I haven't been paid <laughs> right, exactly. for working. And so, um, I think 60 to 70% of that time was spent on mentality training. Um, if you could believe it, it was not skills. I mean, I had a very good friend who was a Q grader who, who, um, taught them a tremendous amount of, of coffee knowledge, but most of that was observing and teaching them like how to think, how to be independent. Um, I mean, that's after all, I have to see from a consumer side that that's what people come to coffee shops for, right? If you come in, you get a cup of coffee and you get people who respect you and talk to you and see you as another human being, you will understand why coffee is so special. Um, and I, that, you know, a lot of it is, is my gut feeling, to be honest. There's no books on this. There's no like Google Wikipedia page for this. Um, it's just me following what I think felt right. Um, so, so what did that first month look like then? What, like what kind of, uh, kind of emotional and mental training does that take? Cause I can kind of imagine it, but I think when you just said that there's no books on this, you can't Google it. That also resonated with me. Cause I feel like so much of what I value is ineffable. It's hard to explain. Well, so before we, um, so when they were hired, uh, I was uh, at the very tail end of um, finishing the construction. Um, and when I hired them, I, I told them, like, you know, come to come see the shop as it's being constructed. Meet my contractors, shake hands with them, introduce yourself, talk to them, befriend them. I also took them to the dairy farm to talk to the farmers and get a tour of the farm. Uh, we get our milk from a Jersey, Jersey dairy farm about an hour away. Um, I said, everything that I'm going to put into this business, you need to understand because I am training you to be independent. And that's part of the training. Just go meet the farmer you are working with. Meet the contractor you are working with because by seeing what they do day in and day out and respecting what they do day in and day out, you inversely understand why I respect baristas day in, day out. And once you understand that I'm coming from a place of respecting my employees, you will get to understand why you should respect yourself and all the people who came before you, right? We wouldn't have the shop. I don't care how much money I have. I cannot build a shop. I don't know how to do it. 
Um, and so it's a lot of the training was a lot of like talking to people, sitting down and telling them, Hey, remember today, remember what it was like to go up to our coffee roaster up in Portland and talking to them and see how they carry themselves. Um, how you guys talk to each other with the words you say, the gestures you use, the way you stand, the way you answer my questions. So there are times when I talk to them and I'm saying something and I said, take out your notebook write this down. I'm pointing this out in a most respectful way. I did not like the way you answered that question, not as an attack as this is how you should say it and convey it so that people understand you are being respectful. Because once you understand the nuances of communication, you will actually become more empowered to know that when you say something and somebody takes offense to it, but you are clear about what you said, that responsibility of being taken offense is on them. It's not on you. It's yourself, right? So clarity about who you are gives you so much more power. And I understand this is because baristas have to meet all kinds of people of all walks of life, of all levels of respectfulness. They will get someone who's a bit of an ass, <laughs> maybe twice, three times, five times a day. Yeah, it happens. Right? You cannot take that to heart. I will support you, but I'm not going to just chase a customer out because I'm not there. Or they, you know, you need to be able to understand where you are and I am backing you up 100%. If you need to take a break, whatever. But on the day to day communication, I want you to feel strong about who you are. And that trickles down to the way I built my shop and everything. Um, but um, a lot of it is explaining why I built the shop this way. A lot of it is meeting people. A lot of it is, is you know, um, training them the way they talk and they move. Um, you know, a lot of it was inspired by my own travels abroad. Um, but then always keeping an eye on how do they express themselves as individuals? I do not want to smother that at all. But understanding, having that clarity and giving them that training makes them much more confident. It's so interesting to me that you talk so confidently about these values and the way that you approach training. And yet it is still so rare for somebody to approach hiring, training, employment in the way that you do. And it's it's interesting mm -hmm. how radical it is, but at the same time, how how basic it feels at the same time. Like when you say these things, I'm like, yeah, of course. Why don't we do these things? So why do you think there is this resistance to treating baristas with the values that you've outlined? Like, why is it still rare? To be honest, I think vast majority of people who start coffee shops misunderstand what that means. I think a lot of it, it's a bit of a cycle. It's a bit of a self-feeding cycle where someone may go, oh, I love being a barista. I love being coffee. And they work their way up some kind of level of power of influence where they can get enough money, where they can save up and they start a coffee shop or, you know, whatever circumstances it may be. But I think they approach that as this is a business. I'm going to be an owner. I'm going to have control. I'm going to have power. To me, that's the opposite of what you're supposed to do. To me, having that resource to open a coffee shop and then deciding to open a coffee shop 
is taking on a responsibility. It's not something to do for yourself as a fun thing to do that I'm going to be in this position of power. I was very, very clear about I am opening up a shop in service of other people. I am willing to take all my savings that I've accumulated over the past decade of my career and doing this, and I'm willing to lose it all. I told my baristas, I'm willing to lose all of my money to do this for you because I need to, at this point in my life, prove that this is more than about money. Again, that's very, very personal to me. But having done that and gone through that process, I just don't see how that's possible any other way. I just don't see it because the other ways always start off as mistreating baristas as the default. It just always happens that way. I am, I am almost protecting myself as a business Absolutely. person to give up that authority. I created the shop. I spent all that time planning on how can I make the shop not mine, if that makes any sense. I plan the shop to not be mine. It has to belong to the baristas. I'm just the financier. I'm just the guy who brought the money. They're the one who brought the character. Right. The contractor brought the skills. The dairy farmer brought the knowledge and the time and the effort to do that. I am just someone with the money. And I'm grateful for it. I'm very grateful for the fact that I have it. But I am not going to use that as leverage against anybody else. And by not doing that, I actually am not afraid of doing it. I think it's when people hold on to that money, hold on to that power, that they get very, very um, scared of losing it. And when that feel, anything happens that feels like a threat to that, they hold on to it tighter. Um, to me, I just, I just don't hold on to it. That's really interesting to think about because that reminds me of all of the coffee shop owners who are now in a little bit of hot water right. um, with their baristas unionizing, or I'm thinking back to um, the gelato shop that's in DC who cut barista wages. And I think they were quoted saying that we didn't expect, we expected people to leave. Mm -hmm. Like that was part of their business model so that they could pay people less money. And, and this is just, what you're saying is such stark, in stark opposition to that. And that's really interesting to think about how, in a way, it kind of frees you from right. feeling that insecurity and feeling I mean, that part lack of it control. is practicality. Like I knew I had to so, put enough money to pay for all this. Right. right. Um, the decision to pay my baristas thirty to forty percent more than anybody else in the area—that is a decision that you know sounds good, feels good. I can pat myself on the back for doing it, but if I didn't have the money that's just no good right so um that has to be balanced right so but right. I, I again logistics wise i planned out a lot of efficiencies so i can figure out okay if i treat them right i can pay them well i can pay them really well um and i don't have to mistreat them because they own the shop they run the shop as they see fit and i have to trust that if i hire people with good character that they are going to work together as a really, really great team. In fact, one month after I opened, I did not have to be at the shop. I did not have to be at the shop. I just did not need, they didn't need me. Right. It just ran on its own. 
Right. That's so powerful too. One of the, I've been a manager for a long time and I think probably one of my greatest achievements was knowing that the shop was fine. Right. I was like, I don't have to be here every day. I don't have to be here for 12 hours every day because my staff is good. They can do this job. They don't need me. Right. And that's still a lesson that I feel is just not not a lesson. That's not to say that because that means that it gets lost. And people, I think, feel it, it goes back to what you were saying about control is that there is this sense of, of, of insecurity and control that can come from the opposite end where if you're not in control, you're not really sure like what's happening. Um, on the, on the contrary, like, God, it felt good to leave the cafe and be like, my baristas have it. They can make a decision. The milk delivery is late. They know who to call. Well, they're fine. Right. Um, that frees me up to support them. Right. right to do better, bigger and better things. It gives me time to go talk to my boss and be like, Hey, you should pay this person more money or think critically about like, what does it mean to give someone a raise? And it just, it just makes everybody's job easier. Right. But it takes work in the beginning to do that. Absolutely. Um, and I think that that's really interesting to talk about too. I feel like I keep saying the word that that's interesting, um, <laughs> but it is, it, but it is, it is kind of, almost obvious, but yet not something that a lot of people do to really plan ahead and think, this is what I need to do to be successful. I need to have an idea of what I need these people to be able to do. I need to be able to tell them like, I'm going to pay you this much. And then I have to be sure that I have that money to do so. Um, and that's really cool that you kind of went in with a game plan. Right. And I think, you know, I think a lot of people stumble is, and I, I, th- I do think, uh, I'm going to almost like shoot myself in the foot for saying this. Um, but I think the specialty coffee industry really forgets or talks too much about the equipment or the technicalities. That's all good knowledge. And that I'm not trying to discredit that. But the, the conversations that we constantly have about, oh, we can get the best coffee if we use this equipment, if we dial it in this way, we use all these numbers we forget, we start to like create this, um, dialogue of, Oh, as long as I have these things that are tangible, calculatable, these data, this equipment, I can have a cop like a successful coffee shop. And we forget because there's so much of that, right? There's so much data and there's so much right. knowledge. Then we start to forget, well, all of this is predicated on human beings being happy in your place of work. Like none of your Lamarzocos or your, 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 your pour overs or your grinders are going to work if nobody is there. Right. Um, so to me, to chase after all the equipment, the hardware without remembering the people, I think that's where a lot of people stumble. They just jump right in. And I spend most of my time thinking about the human side, the people side, because once I figure that out, equipment stuff, you can always have somebody fix that. Right. You can always have somebody get better at it. But if you can't fix personal issues, you're just, you know, you're, you're not building a good foundation. You're just trying to like make your house look great. And then you said, Oh, skip over the foundation. If you don't have a good foundation, it doesn't matter how good your house looks. Um, absolutely. And that's something I told my baristas, I said, you know, I built a really nice shop. It's a very fancy space but it means nothing without you guys. And I absolutely believe that. Um, and I said that right off the bat, which is, it doesn't mean anything. This is just a space. 
were there ever any moments of tension or were there moments where you really, you know, it seems like you have a really good game plan, but I imagine there are lessons along the way that you learned. So what was it like actually realizing some of these values and did you have to adjust anything as you kind of moved along? Yeah, I, um, there was one instance, um, well, not in one instance, it was a period of time of several weeks in uh, near the beginning of um, our operations where I felt like the baristas were not pushing themselves as much as I wanted them to. Um, and the team, to their credit, got together and said, Dave, we want to sit down with you and we want to talk to you about something. And they were very honest with me. They, they talked together like they should as a team. They discussed it and they had one representative. Everybody was there present, but they had one spokesperson. And that spokesperson told me what the team felt I was saying and what I, they felt was I should not be doing. And I was um, not being fair to them. And it was a very big gut punch. And I said, thank you for saying that. I, I am processing it right now and I need a moment. And I literally stepped out of the shop. And I think it was like just me going like, wow, I did not realize that that's, that's what's happening. And I took maybe 10 minutes to kind of collect myself and come back and say, I'm really sorry I did that. I did not realize I was doing that. And I think that all stemmed from you know, what I said about developing them to be confident, I pushed that too far. I got to a point where I was thinking that, oh, I'm doing this for you and therefore you should do this and this and this and this. And now you're not meeting my expectations. That was very, very wrong of me to do that. And I did not realize I was doing that. And, but in retrospect, I think I was very, very grateful for the fact that, again, I built a team that trusted each other, that got together and told me collectively, because I think that's so important. It's just like, that's proof that this has to work this way. Because if I did not build a team that loved each other, that did not support each other, this thing would not have shown up, right? This, this problem would not have been told to me and I would not have known that I was doing something wrong. Right. So I think that foundation again it's just so more so much more important and i think owners also should be more open not more open they should just be absolutely as open as possible to understanding what where barishas are coming from and to build in the f structure or the platform so that they feel that they can be together collected as a group and tell me that um, it's very, very difficult when you're in as an employee to go, oh, I have this problem that's bothering me, but it seems like nobody else is being bothered, but actually right. everybody's hiding it. <laughs> everybody's hiding it right. and nobody's willing to share it because they're like, oh, I don't know if that person's going to tell on me or I don't know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, just tell me, tell me where I'm wrong. And I said that in the very beginning. I didn't realize they were going to tell me that I was wrong at that point on that topic, but that was very, very important to set off, you know, set up in the very, very beginning that, that they can tell me where I'm wrong anytime. Um, and I would never hold it against any one person because I will assume that if something is wrong with that one person, I am doing the same thing in the wrong way to someone else, if not the whole team. 
Um, so that's that's what it means to support your baristas. Like just like that's literally my job. I don't do anything else except to support my baristas. Um, and understanding that on a fundamental level allows them to open up. Were you like secretly like not secretly, but were you? I imagine getting that feedback must have been difficult, but at the same time, also like a very proud moment to be like, "Wow!" Like they came up to me and they told me this, and now we can actually move forward and be constructive. You know, it was it, that that was um, proud moment was probably later on uh, because to be honest, when they told me it was a gut punch, and I, I took offense to it. Um, but I realized I was taking offense to it. So that's why I said, give me 10 minutes. And I walked out of the store. I think I cried a little bit because it would hurt so much. But I think the hurt was not so much that like, oh, I felt like I was being, um, you know, disrespected. It was more like, oh my God, I didn't realize I was doing this. Like I was, it just took time to process it. And I came back and I sat down and I said, I'm really sorry. I don't know what to do. Um, that is a gut punch. And I'm just going to be honest and say that was a gut punch. Um, but I hope you know that I don't mean that. Um, but I understand why it feels that way. And it's my fault for making you feel that way. And over the following weeks, I still felt the guilt. I still felt like I had to, I had to keep a little bit of a distance. And to be honest, it took maybe like a month before I kind of got back to, to the same level as it was before that. Um, and that's just the human nature, right? That's just me having to process that. Right. Um, but it's so powerful that you didn't, you didn't hold it against them. You know, like I can imagine 800 different scenarios that every barista has had where they either feel fearful to speak up about something that's bothering them or when they do speak up, they're retaliated against or told that they're wrong or even, um, kind of subject to the anger that their manager might feel against them. Like, Oh, you made me feel this way. Now I'm going to make you feel shitty. Uh, that's such a no, common you just response. Can't, you can't do you that. Can't, that's, you can't do that because, and, but it's not, it, you know, we say we can't do that. You and me are talking about, we can't do that. Right. Because it sounds logical. Right. What I think is really, really important is the owner has to feel that way. They, they truly fundamentally has to feel that in the deepest part of their heart, gut, whatever, that that's the value. Like I had to tell myself that before I hired anybody, I figured out on paper that this is what I needed to be. I needed to be someone who supported my baristas. That was on paper logically. Then I asked myself, could I do that day in and day out? Do I believe in that? Do I actually believe in that? And when somebody tells me they have a problem with me, how am I going to react? I had to do a lot of, I don't know, uh, it sounds a little bit cliched, but I had to do a lot of soul searching because I wasn't sure that, that I was that type of person. Um, then I spent time almost brainwashing myself and telling myself, no, I have to be that person. I have to be someone who supports the breezes. I have to be someone who understands criticisms and absorbs it and tries to get better from it and not take that personally. Um, and that once I receive the criticism and I process the emotions, my first task is to go back and fix that problem because I can't just be moody for the next three months. I can't just go like, Oh, you hurt my feelings and I'm not going to retaliate, but I'm just, I'm going to ignore you for the next three months. That's not fair. So running through that scenario in my mind was probably 
more important than anything else. Like just understanding who I am and what kind of role I truly am taking on this kind of responsibility that I'm taking on. Because if I don't believe it, the person I hire who, and then I promote to be manager, they're not going to believe that either, right? Because eventually there's going to be some layer of hierarchy where there's going to be a shop manager and that manager is going to oversee someone else. And that person is going to feel fearful of bringing up that thing to that manager. So if I don't believe it, I can't tell my manager to believe it. And if my manager doesn't believe it or see me do it, they're not going to return, they're not going to show that, you know, kind of graciousness or, or that humility to that next person. Gosh, there's so many good things in everything you just said. Um, but I want to shift a little bit because uh, the way that I learned about your coffee shop was through Instagram and the fact that you're a designer makes a lot of sense. Um, but you really, I think, utilized Instagram and social media in this way that I don't think any other coffee shop has ever utilized it. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you thought about using your social media presence and just your public persona in general. Um, there wasn't a plan to be honest. Um, it was, it really stemmed from my habit of being a designer in design school. We were always taught to document what you do. Um, no matter how mundane it seems, um, it's just a good record keeping habit. So that's what I started off with. I, I knew that Instagram was popular. I didn't really know how to use it. Um, but I, I took pictures of the construction. I started out with, you know, a sentence or two, then it became more long form. Um, but just showing, you know, respect for the people who, who built it. I, that's what I think the very first uh, personal, quote unquote, personal stories I shared um, were of the contractors who came and built, put in the plumbing, put in the electrical lines, put in like, you know, did the demolition and, and all those things and constructed the physical space. Um, it's a learning journey. Um, I don't, I'm sure the writing has gotten maybe better. Um, the photography has gotten better, but I didn't really have a plan except to just say like, I'm going to document this. Um, because actually I didn't show that I was the owner until maybe late or middle of August. Um, I always intended my social media presence to be a showcase for what my baristas did. Um, so I didn't actually show who I am until, until much, much later on. Um, so that part was intentional. But in terms of like what content I put on there, um, it was good that seeing people responded well, especially baristas who, who seemed to, you know, my, my stories and my content seemed to resonate with them. And I felt, oh, okay, well, sounds like this is really helping someone. I should probably write more. Um, and just being, I don't know, I, I don't know, I want to say I'm courageous about it, but just kind of just being honest and, and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking about. This is what I think. This is why I appreciate what my baristas do. Um, that to me has just been an organic kind of growth growing from there. You mentioned that you've gotten a lot of responses from baristas and, you know, through my social network, that's generally the people that I see the most, but I wonder how you have other business owners interacted with you? Have you seen other business owners kind of react differently towards you? I wonder what that process has been like. Mostly positive. Um, I don't think I've had 
I, I guess I'm lucky in that way. I don't think I've had any other business owner who said anything negative. They, they've, um, if anybody reached out to me, they said they really like what I stand for, that they see that there's, um, that baristas resonate really well is some of their own staff resonate really well, or at least like my content. And so that they see that there's value in it. And I think they, um, a couple of them have reached out to me to sit down in person and say like, how, how can I think this way? Or how can I approach it this way? Do you have any advice for me? So, um, but the majority of my interaction is really with baristas, um, you know, supplementing my social media presence. Uh, I do go out to New York, um, and attend coffee events where people do recognize me. I put my face out there. Um, and I, you know, if I have an opportunity to talk one-on-one -on -one with the baristas, they often have questions and I, I will spend like 30, 40 minutes. I, I get lost in talking. Um, and, and I, I love that interaction and they follow me and they, you know, a couple of posts here and there really, really resonated with people. Um, which I'm, I'm happy to see. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's half social media, half just putting my face out there in, um, in, in the coffee scene. So, I mean, we, you know, we, there's no way to have this conversation without talking about kind of the arc of your business. Um, so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the fact that you've closed. Yeah, sure. Um, which feels like very awkward for me to ask. I'm no, like, no. Oh. But at the same time, it's like, it's part of the process. It's part of the, the journey that you're on. Right. Um, I think it's, it was, I was very fortunate to have met other entrepreneurs um, many months back. And, and one of the common refrain was, um, you will not find your success until you failed many, many, many times. Um, so that kind of mentally prepped me and I, you know, when I first started the shop, I knew that, you know, I'm going all in. If I lost all my money, that would be fine. Um, it sounds really weird to like have that be a throwaway phrase, but it's true. <laughs> but, um, having coming to that realization of having to close, it was a, it was a, um, a decision that, uh, my baristas and I came to an agreement with. Um, it was literally um, the fact that uh, not enough people were coming in to sustain the business and I have almost run out of money. Um, everything was been financed by me, so there is a limit to how much money I have and and that was very much um, you know at the near the end. So um, our summer months didn't pick up um, and and so you can you can kind of like dissect all the factors for why we closed, but the easy answer is not enough people came in for me to process. The closing was tough. I did feel like I did want to tell myself that there's still legs. I could still keep going. I could go to the end of the year. Um, but when that reality hit and I sat down and sat down with my baristas and they shared with me their thoughts on it, um, I took again, two weeks to process it on my own. I stepped away from the shop. I, you know, went to New York, went to see different shops. I drove around to just let it kind of settle in my mind. And after two weeks, I realized it was a good decision. It was the right decision. Then it kicks in, like, what's the process like? Well, how we're going to, you know, close the shop? What are the logistics? Um, but the emotional 
kind of roller coaster still there because it's it's been a kind of like a baby to me. It's been something that I pour my heart and soul into, but I also keep reminding myself this is something that the baristas pour their hearts and souls into. Um, probably more than I could ever have because this is something that they love doing. Um, one of the things that really touched me was my team collectively told me they would not want to work for anyone else um, because of how happy they are. So I try to empathize what a disappointment it is when the community doesn't support it in the way that they wanted it to, right? That this good thing has to come to an end, that they now have to move on to the next phase of their lives. So if I keep thinking about what they must go through, not that I could 100% understand, that puts my emotions, my personal emotions in perspective. That, you know what? I am at a point in my life where I know what I'm gonna do. I can figure it out. I have that confidence. They may not be because they're early on in their careers and their lives. And they thought this was going to be a long running thing for that to end. You know, it's more important for me now to support them instead of keep wallowing in that. Um, not to say it isn't hurtful, not to say it isn't disappointing, but I think having that um, perspective really helps me process that. Is there anything about closing that makes you think that you should have done anything differently or does it shake any of your values at all? No. Uh, I am very, very proud of the fact that I started the shop, built the shop, built this team, did it the way I did it. Um, if anything, the lesson is I wish I had more money to, to do this, not to burn, but like if I had an op another opportunity to do another shop, I certainly would have just done it exactly the same way. Maybe logistically it would be different for different you know markets, dem different demographics. But my value system of of supporting the baristas that is absolutely not has not changed. It has to be that way because I'm closing on my own terms, right? I'm closing and my baristas have felt like that was the best job that they ever had, right? To me, the only failure that I had was I did not have enough people come through the door. I was successful in everything else, right? It's almost like, I guess if I put together like, a, you know, an artist puts together an album and says, well, it didn't do well in the market, but artistically or value-wise, that's who that person is. Everybody who poured their heart into it understands that's the right way to express that art that's the way we have to live our lives that's we just put our values out there on the table like we put everything on the table i do not regret any bit of that whether or not it performed one on the market that's that's a business person talk um i'm not i'm still very very grateful i'm not homeless nobody else is homeless this is just a you know a matter of money but uh, I think the success, life is telling me that my success was not in the coffee shop. My success is inspiring baristas. My success is baristas feeling like somebody is watch, you know, looking out for them. You know, maybe they don't know me, but somebody is putting that value out there on social media. Say, hey, I know you don't do this, but look at the peccary. The peccary did it. 
you know, and these are the baristas who came out of it and they're successful in their own careers and they're confident who they are. And that's an example, right? If I had spent all that money to just prove out and set examples for other people, it was well worth it. I don't, I don't even care. I just don't care. I just, because I just believe that money can always be made. That is not my motivator. Um, so closing the business is just the end of a chap end of a chapter. And now I am going to focus on what's the next chapter. What is the thing that I could figure out so that I can solve this riddle? Because I solve so many other riddles, so many other problems. So I'm successful in that. I'm just happen to be a failure in this. Um, so I don't, I don't have any, any issues with that. Thank you so much for being on my show. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for inviting me. This has been really, really great. I'm just looking for a better day. Boss Barista is produced by me, Ashley Rodriguez. You can find a transcription of this episode on my newsletter, along with an accompanying article about this episode every Thursday at bossbarista.substack.com. To support the show, you can visit www.patreon.com slash bossbarista. We have over 80 patrons supporting the show right now, which is incredible. And that helps keep the show alive. We pay guests through this fund, we pay for website hosting, and we make donations. Half of our patron donations are currently pledged to five different nonprofits, each at $50 a month. Asada's Daughters, the Loveland Foundation, the Native American Rights Fund, the Grocery Run Club, and the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Again, if you want to support Boss Barista, consider making a monthly donation at www.patreon.com slash boss barista. Another amazing way to support the show is to share this episode with just one person, a friend, someone who you think would learn something from this episode, anybody. Sharing on social media is also a huge help, along with giving us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. As a small production, these things matter a lot. So if you can take a little time, share out some of your favorite quotes from this episode, and tag us, that would be amazing. We're at Boss Barista Podcast on Instagram and Boss underscore Barista on Twitter. You can also send me an email at bossbaristapodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.